0: 1870s, bell called it the intellectual center of the states with good reason boston money had built the best american libraries and universities the city held some of america's finest educators scientists lawyers authors businessmen and writers including ralph waldo emerson henry wadsworth longfellow and oliver wendell holmes even more excitingly for alec Boston was also a center of emerging technologies, including telegraphy. Land-based telegraphy had been in use for over twenty-five years in the United States and Europe, and telegraph crews labored on every continent, wiring the globe together, but in Bell's era, being on an ocean voyage meant being out of touch. The Atlantic Ocean often swallowed ships and passengers without a trace— Without modern communications, navigation systems, or weather information, ships fell victim to storms, ran aground, or were lost in ice and fog. International business deals could wither as a ship crossed from one continent to another. The first Atlantic telegraph cable was laid in 1858. It worked for only a matter of days. The 1865 cable snapped six hundred miles from North America and fell to the seabed. Then, finally, in 1866, a fleet of four ships entered the harbor at the tiny Newfoundland port of Heart's content. One steamship, the Great Eastern, dwarfed everything in sight. It was large enough to hold the two thousand miles of telegraph cable needed to connect Ireland and Newfoundland. After finally landing and testing the third cable link in 1866, the officers of the fleet gathered in the little church at heart's content for a sermon preached on the text, There Shall Be No More Sea, and a Church of England service celebrating the joining of the old world to the new. Then the Great Eastern turned about, and in another amazing feat for the time, grappled and salvaged the 1865 cable. New cable was sliced in, and both transatlantic cables were still working, as Bell began teaching in Boston five years later. By 1850, telegraphy was big business in the United States. Eight years later, businessman Hiram Sibley of Rochester, New York, virtually owned telegraphy in the Midwest, renaming his company, The Western Union Corporation, after taking over small competitors. By 19th century standards, Western Union was huge, one of America's first truly national companies, with offices in every major city and town. It had a gigantic territory and enough money and power to buy or suppress technology outright. In 1861, Easterners read the first message sent over Western Union lines from the Pacific coast May the Union be perpetuated. This message did not flash instantly across America. Weakening signals meant that a message would halt at relay points where operators would rekey it. A message could take hours, sometimes more than a day, to cross the continent before finally being delivered on foot by messenger. This was expensive, and throughout the 1850s and 60s, the price of a long-distance telegraph message was prohibitive for all but the most important personal communication. The largest telegraph customers, businesses, had electric call boxes that rang for a messenger in central telegraph offices. In addition, a handful of rich European and American businessmen had stock tickers and call boxes at home sometimes attached to switchboards that interconnected telegraph lines. In 1866, the same year the Great Eastern brought the cable to Newfoundland, Western Union swallowed its two remaining significant rivals, U.S. Telegraph and American Telegraph. With U.S. Telegraph came its president, William Orton, a former teacher from Oswego, New York, who took over Western Union itself in 1867. Orton steered the company through criticism of its policies and rates and personally approved the purchase of new inventions. New owners, including the Vanderbilt family, moved Sibley out of Western Union. Investors in telegraphy included Junius Morgan's London-based investment bank, whose New York office was managed by his son, John Pierpont Morgan.